Hi, I'm Gavin Carlson, and this is Out of Bounds, Daily Bruins Sports Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Out of Bounds, the official sports podcast of the Daily Bruin. As always, I'm your host, Gavin Carlson, a fourth-year sports staff writer here at the Daily Bruin, and I'm joined by the trio once again, my other two fantastic guests. First off, my boss, I'm going to say it every episode, it's the sports editor of the Daily Bruin, Joseph Crosby. How you doing, buddy? Gavin, I'm having a little bit of a bad hair day, and that's actually important now because we're on video, so I'm feeling a little nervy. It looks great to me. Don't worry about it. Uh, we'll see. I mean, this guy's hair is never looking poor. It's, it's Jack Nelson, uh, a sports senior staff writer at the Daily Bruin with fantastic hair. Jack, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm vibing. I'm back here with the Dream Team. I'm excited, man. Let's talk some football. Heck yes. We are recording once again on a Sunday directly after UCLA blew out San Diego State 35-10 to 10 at Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego. Uh, me and Joseph were there for the game. Before we start, I have to do, as always, shout out to our amazing camera lady, Zoe Busenberg, behind the camera. Check out on YouTube to see this beautiful setup. It's kind of changing every week. Um, but yes, we were at Snapdragon, Joseph and I. Jack was there as well um, in, the, in the crowd. Uh, the story was Dante Moore. We didn't know who was going to be the starter coming into the week. Chip Kelly didn't say anything. Um, unlike week one. So literally until the very first offensive snap of the game, we did not know who the quarterback was going to be. Dante rolls out there, two drives, only 24 yards the first two drives, I believe. Um, not a sharp start. Um, I guess we'll start with Joseph. What did you think of Dante kind of slowing into things with the, the two poor drives and obviously came out in that third drive, 81-yard touchdown to Josiah Norwood? Uh, I guess just what were your what were your 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 opinion on the way Chip Kelly handled things with with Dante kind of just being thrown out there quietly? Yeah, I think those first two drives they were kind of feeling things out and trying to get a sense of what the what the environment might be like in Snapdragon and what you know how they might kind of react to that. And then come that third drive, they're uh, they're a little more ready to maybe push the envelope and you know that that play action play uh, gets the safeties drawn in and you can hit Norwood and then he's got no one but in between him and the end zone so. And that was probably set up a little bit by running the ball a little more than they did pass because I think he only attempted three passes on those first two drives. And so they ended up uh, being able to kind of exploit that and go over the middle and then have no one no one in the, in the uh, deep in the secondary. I totally agree. I think it was very conservative to start. It's always interesting watching the beginning of games and how a play caller you know operates because really the first drive, maybe the first two drives are pretty scripted. Like Chip Kelly during the week has most likely written down what three players are going to be run the first three plays, barring some disaster, you know, barring a five-yard loss on first down or something. Uh, it's pretty decided, like, all right, we're going to come out and we're going to run the ball to Carson Steele. I think they threw an out route to Carson Ryan on second down in the first drive of the game. Like, I don't think that's a read that Dante makes in the middle of the game. That's, we are scripting this play to throw to Carson Ryan, right? So um, I think, yeah, it, especially with it being Dante's first start, I think Chip was very conservative. Eventually, like you said, they open things up. The play action, Josiah Norwood, uh, big big ball down the field, um, and and a lot of green grass. Um, San Diego State responds with the touchdown, and a lot of people are going to be talking about the secondary. Uh, Devin Kirkwood gets beat on that one. I thought it was fine coverage and just a great throw by Jalen Maiden. Um, but what are your thoughts on the secondary, Jack? Because everyone's going to be talking about it. It's been the biggest weakness for this team for years, and it was a solid performance overall. But on that you know that touchdown drive makes you know makes people nervous and then Kirkwood got beat later in the game so you know what are you thinking about the secondary for UCLA right now after these first two games 
Definitely an improvement over last week for UCLA's secondary, I would say. I mean, three interceptions against Jalen Maiden, two of which by Alex Johnson, so he deserves some love after that game for sure. Um, but, I mean, one sequence in particular you talk about with this, sec- this secondary, I guess this defense as a whole, um, is you go into the third quarter and you look at that sequence where I think Dante Moore got sacked from blindside, ball fumbles out, and that San Diego State initially looked like they had recovered it in the end zone for a touchdown, ends up being at the one-yard line. And then the UCLA defense proceeds to get two stops for two against two rushing plays. No gains there for San Diego State. And then San Diego State, there's an interception right out of a scene from Super Bowl 49 in the end zone. <laughs> and just like that, UCLA is one of its maybe its best defensive sequences in years that I've seen. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, it was funny. I think after the game, was it Oladejo that said uh, we wanted to be in that you know scenario? Yeah, he said something along those lines of like, you know, getting put in that situation, it's kind of what you want, especially after, you know, the call gets overturned. You go from touchdown to one yard line. It's like, you know, can a defense prove themselves? Can they can they get a stop in the tightest of situations? And, you know, Darius Musel comes down with the ball and that tip drill and all of a sudden you've got the ball back. Yeah. And I mean, it took a lot to get to that point because after that first touchdown from Dante Moore to Josiah Norwood, like we said, San Diego State comes back and evens the game at seven. Um, but then from there on out, UCLA kind of takes over. Uh, Dante Moore leads another very solid drive, seven plays, 75 yards, uh, finishes with the touchdown, a really creative play by Chip Kelly. We're going to get to Chip in a second because I thought he had a a very strong performance um, as a coach. Comes out in that unique formation on a fourth and one of the 13. He's got Carson Steele, Colson Yankoff, and Anthony Atkins in the backfield with Dante Moore. And if you're San Diego State, which is a very good rush defense coming into this game, you're like, who the heck am I guarding? You know, or who am I... Who's going to get this ball, right? You see three strong ball carriers. That one ended up being Carson Steele, but Joseph and I were kind of talking about it. Later in the season, that could be someone else. You can get really yeah. creative with that. Yeah, I think, you know, they did it in week one, and it was a garbage keeper. Then they do it this week, and it's uh, a steal handoff. I think there's there's four plays there. I think that's going to be their go-to fourth and short if they want to get the ball. And there's four different running options. You know, you can hand it to Atkins, hand it to Yankoff, hand it to Steele, or have the QB keep it. And they're, they're going to be able to keep teams on their toes because it's hard to tell. You know, when there's four options off one play, what are you going to, who are you going to stop? Right. And Chip has shown that if he sees what he wants to see from a defense in short yardage, an opposing defense in short yardage situations, he's going to go for it. You know, I think I was watching the Cal game uh, this summer, just kind of recapping that game. And he had like a fourth and two at his own 40 or something that he went for, where he literally on third and two, I believe, runs a handoff to Colson Yankoff, gets stuffed, and then yet runs the exact same play on fourth and two. And it works out. Um, so he's proven that if it's a, four, a, a third or fourth and short and he likes what he sees, he's going to go for it. He's going to run a play. Um, and so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see well, what he does with that formation going forward. Um, we talked about that second touchdown, puts it to 14-7. Then UCLA gets a stop. They come out three plays, three carries. TJ Harden, the third one, he breaks an inside zone for 59 yards. Harden and Steele, both very solid performances. Jack, who do you think... Is there going to be someone that takes a lead in this backfield, or is UCLA perfectly fine with it being a two a two man you know attack that works perfectly well? I really don't think this is a team that's going to have a number one, a clear cut you know number one running back. I think this is going to be a dual attack all season long for UCLA because it's worked really well from these past few games. I mean, we saw the passing game work really well for UCLA. Kind of the rushing game took a little bit of a step back, maybe compared to week one, but really it was the same story from week one. And so I think that's really going to be that's not going to change at all going forward for UCLA. Yeah, I mean it, it's. UCLA has been a huge running team since Chip Kelly's been there. Um, obviously, last year, Zach Charbonnet took a, a large load. 
Um, but I think Chip probably prefers to have a balanced backfield with two clear guys. He, he talked in the offseason about wanting bigger, stronger running backs that can you know handle a, a heavy workload. Um, so Steele and Harden are going to be the guys. Keegan Jones, ironically, got I think he had the first catch of the game um, on a little check down, and then we didn't hear from him the rest of the game. So I think he's going to be less of a weapon than we thought. Um, but someone that is a weapon is J. Michael Sturdivant. Kind of a <clears throat> medium, quiet-ish game from him. Um, but on one of those drives, he draws two pass interferences, catches another ball, and that eventually led to a touchdown. Uh, what do you think of his performance just after the huge blow-up game in week one? Yeah, I think that he's kind of got maybe has this like scouting report out on him that uh, he's he's a big deep threat. And so maybe the way it seemed like every time you kind of looked over to what he was doing, he was kind of going on a go route. Uh, so I think we might be able to see it's either he's going to be running goes. And if they leave him up one on one, they'll challenge that and try and go over the top. Otherwise, he's pulling the safeties or pulling one of the safeties to his side of the field and leaving things way op- open on the other side. So I think that's kind of the the role that he's de- elevating into. Um, and it worked really well on that one drive. He drew two pass interference calls. And I think the rest of the game, he didn't get super targeted, but probably, you know, safety help is drifting over the entire time. And then all of a sudden, Logan Loyal's got four catches for 77 yards because the middle of the field is wide open. Right, exactly. And that kind of perfectly trans- uh, transitions into that last touchdown drive of the first half where um, UCLA comes out this kind of, not two-minute drill, but the, the, the tempo was definitely up. Dante Moore had a beautiful rollout on a third and four. He dives for a first down. A couple plays later, throws a ball up the seam to the tight end and then re- hits Logan Loya uh, for that touchdown. Uh, I think that drive really showed that Dante can, you know, kind of work when the offensive line isn't doing its best in pass protection. I thought they kind of underwhelmed in that regard. You talked about the fumble that Dante had. The O-line overall was a little shaky in pass protection. Um, but for Dante to be able to have that rollout, he had the nice play over the seam where he kind of had a, a rusher in his face, and then Loya was wide open. But, you know, that pushed the score to 28-7, to 7, or 28-10. to 10. Um, That was the halftime score. And if you're Chip Kelly, you go into the half feeling great. They had a little miscue at the end with uh, him calling timeouts and everything and them not getting a play out of that. But um, you go up 28-10 at halftime. That's exactly where you want to be. And a huge reason why they're up 28-10, to 10, short of talking a little bit more about the defense, San Diego State could not run the ball at all. This is a team that loves to run the football, and they could not run the ball all game. Um, you look here, Keen and Kristen, the leading rusher, 27 yards on nine carries. Jalen Maiden, a very athletic quarterback, nine carries, 18 yards. Martin Blake, five carries, 17 yards. As a total, 33 carries for 63 yards for a San Diego State team that ranked in the top 30 in rushing coming into the season, averaging over 200 yards per game. Uh, what, what does that say about the defensive line, the linebacking unit, to be able to do what they did against a team like San Diego State running the football? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest stories coming to the season for UCLA was this front seven, how strong that defensive line can be. And they were really strong against Colts Carolina. It was the same case against San Diego State. They made it really hard for San Diego State to really exploit their own strength. And they had to go the passing game more they wanted. And as we know, their passing game is pretty poor. Just didn't work out for them. So, yeah, tells us even more about how good this defensive front is going to be for UCLA moving forward. Yeah, and we'll see. I think it's kind of a good preview for what that Utah game will be. Um, a team that likes to run the football, likes to be physical. UCLA secretly kind of matches up really well with Utah in that game, and we'll talk plenty about that when we get to that game. But uh, I think the pass rush was solid. Maiden, you're not really going to be, you know, pinning your ears back and rushing straight at him because you know how well he can run the football. Um, but he did a great job, or they did a great job stopping him. The secondary, we're going to get back to it now because I want to introduce a new segment. We're going to be ranking um, UCLA secondary um, because – 
kind of some question marks. Devin Kirkwood got beat a couple times. John Humphrey, shaky. So I'm going to give you guys like 15, 20 seconds. We're going to be ranking the secondary. We're going to be talking about Devin Kirkwood, John Humphrey, Alex Johnson, Kamari Ramsey, and you want is that good enough there? You think Jalen Davies? We'll we'll talk about Davies too. I mean, I think he's going to be at the top of most people's list. We'll, we'll throw Davies in there as well. So uh, I'll go with my rankings. I'll let you guys cook real quick. I'm going to have Jalen Davies number one. I just think he's not only the best corner, but also the most important player in that secondary because of kind of how weak the two other outside corners are. So I'm going to go Davies one. I've been really impressed with Kamari Ramsey. I'm going to have him second. Um, just really solid at that strong safety, free safety spot. This is where we get shaky. I guess Alex Johnson goes third. He had two interceptions in that game um, and is kind of just doing what he does at the slot corner position. And then finally you have Kirkwood and Humphrey. Kind of a toss-up. Believe it or not, I'm still going to have Kirkwood over Humphrey. I think he's the more talented player. He has the better potential, higher upside. He just hasn't shown it yet. Um, so we'll, we'll go to Joseph now. Do you have differences? I assume you do. Yeah, I'll, I'll go a different direction. Um, I've got Alex Johnson at three. I think his San Diego State game performance was really good. Two interceptions is nothing to, to uh, blink at. Um, but I'm going to put Kamari Ramsey at one and then mm-hmm. Jalen Davies at two. I think Kamari Ramsey's presence on the field is just, like you said, it's been really impressive and it's really impressed me in a really big way. And he's just kind of been all over the place, giving help where it needs, making tackles. Um, and I think that he's been a really big impact, especially when you look at a safety position that had question marks coming into this season with the depart with some of the departures after last year. Uh, and then and then Davies has been locked pretty locked down on the outside. Um, and then I'll, I'll put Humphrey over Kirkwood uh, at the four and five, but um, it's really close. And I think Devin Kirkwood, you know, he has one or two good games. All of a sudden, he's looking at you know challenging Alex Johnson for that three spot, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'll just add real quick. I think it was Kirkwood was starting opposite Dave, opposite Davies in the first game. It looked like Humphrey was kind of the starting outside corner opposite Davies uh, in week two. So we'll see week three against the weak opponent that we'll get to in a second. They um, rotate a lot. Yeah, it's very much like this drive is. Humphrey and Davies, this drive is Davies and Kirkwood, this drive is Humphrey and Kirkwood. I was surprised that there was even a single drive where Davies wasn't on the field, and ironically, that's where the big ball was caught on Kirkwood for the touchdown. You know, if that's Davies, maybe it's a different story. Jack, what about you? How are you ranking the, the secondary? I think Davies is definitely the clear-cut number one for the secondary. Give me Alex Johnson at two. Mm. I'm The hype is, I think, kind of real after... Mm this past game against San Diego State. I mean, and partially because I think he's going to take a little bit of a step forward in the secondary over Devin Kirkwood. Because Kirkwood, in this game, there's a point where he gets burned on one play, and you see him go off to the sidelines, throw his hands up in the air, look like he's completely confused. Mm-hmm. And you have to wonder how frustrated he's getting with his level of play, maybe some coaching there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Don't want to speculate too much. But I think, yeah, I think Johnson could be a more consistent member of the secondary moving forward and the starters. So I, I'd give him a number two. Okay, yeah. We'll have probably the, the full ranking somewhere, maybe, hopefully. We'll see, you know, post-production. I, I will say, I think that Alex Johnson, his role is really interesting, and I wanted to say this, that Dan Lynn in yesterday's game was kind of shifting between this 4-3 defense and this nickel defense, and Johnson's role as the nickelback kind of makes it difficult for him to be on the field at all times. And I feel like maybe if he shifts into that more outside cornerback role, we'll see him excel, but if he's not on the field as much, it might be harder for him to make that impact, that the two-interception impact that was evident yesterday. Yeah, he's a slot corner. I think he's going to stay there, and uh, we'll see. I think Oladejo had a great game when they switched from nickel to 4-3. 
a lot of versatility on the defense. I've just gotten really fascinated by all the defensive formation stuff. It's been yeah. it's been like my niche the last two weeks. You so. called me formation guy last pod, and now look at you. You're yeah. you're on the same boat. Uh, yeah, just know. just flexing his football knowledge. Yeah, on I, me at this I don't point, want to so. say what trend set or anything like that, but you know. Anyways, um, we're gonna go rapid fire with a couple over unders. Um, we got segments every week. I know some people are going to be heartbroken. We're not doing the pyramid. We decided we're going to wait until there's a more clear-cut depth chart starting rotation so we can have the starters up, leave it at that. It's coming, all right? Probably by the Utah game when Chip Kelly has a, a more, you know, defined uh, rotation. But a quick couple over-unders. Uh, UCLA is playing NC Central next week. Uh, Shout-out to UCLA for having another HBCU coming to the, the Rose Bowl. I think that's a, a great concept. Martin Jarman, shout-out to him for setting that up. Um, but let's be honest, NC Central, not very strong opponent. They are 2-0, and um, but just looking real quick, they beat Winston-Salem State uh, 47-21, and they beat North Carolina A&T 30-16. Uh, no offense to either of those schools, but they're not UCLA. So uh, we've all got UCLA winning. We can get to our score predictions in a second. But the first over-under is over-under two-and-a-half drives from Ethan Garbers in Week 3. He did not play at all against San Diego State. We think he's... QB2, I assume, in the, the rankings there. Colin Schley got some run in the San Diego State game, showed off his legs over under two and a half drives. And give me one or two sentences why. Give me the under. I think Ethan Garbers might get flexed to quarterback number three because wow. Chip's going to want to see more of Colin Schley in this game. I think he's given like the, maybe the entire second half to Colin Schley. Interesting. Joseph? I'll take the over. I think that uh, Garbers is just going to get enough garbage time play once you know UCLA presumably takes a, a pretty big lead to to let him get some run. I'm going to take the over as well. Garber's garbage time play. I think uh, UCLA, if they were up 28 to 10 against San Diego State at the half, um, at least that against uh, NC Central. So I'm going to take the over as well. Next over under. Do we go? We're going to talk about the Pac-12 a little bit. Uh, the rankings just came out on Sunday. Eight teams in the AP top 25. At the end of the season, over under five and a half teams ranked in the top 25 in the Pac-12. Give me the over. I think we'll see at least six, uh, maybe seven. This is a really talented conference this year, and there's just so many at the top. You know, USC, Oregon, Washington, Oregon State, Washington State is you know peeking their head in Utah, uh, and then Colorado. You know what Deion Sanders is doing over there. So I think six, maybe seven teams is totally reasonable to see at the end of the season. He takes the over. What about you, buddy? I'm on the same page. I mean, all the same sentiments to what Joe's just said. I think the Pac-12 is loaded, pretty ironic, in its last year as a whole conference. But yeah, I think definitely the over on this one. All right. I've been on the fence. I mean, let's just go through it. You've got USC, of course. I think you've got Washington. You've got Oregon. And then I think it gets a little interesting between Colorado, Utah, Oregon State, UCLA. I'll, I'll still probably take the over. I think Utah stays there. I think Oregon State probably stays there, and I think either UCLA or Colorado. I think one of those two teams will be there. Um, so, yeah, I guess we have three overs there. Um, last one, and this is the one that I think a lot of fans are going to care about. UCLA, over, under, eight and a half regular season wins at the end of the campaign. I'm taking the under here. I made some controversial upset picks back when we had our first episode of the podcast this season. I think I had them losing to Washington State and Arizona State. Um Maybe not Arizona State, given how these first few weeks have panned out for them, but I still think UCLA is very prone to the inexplicable loss, as I've coined the term, <laughs> and I don't think that's going to change, even though, yes, this offense has shown quite a lot these first few weeks. I'll take the over. I think they go nine. Uh, I think losses to USC, then Oregon State, probably going to happen, especially with those both being road games. Uh, but then, you know, a coin toss between winning against Colorado at home beating Utah on the road. I think they probably win one of those games. So put me at nine and three. 
I'm on the same wavelength as the Crosbinator. I'm going to take the over as well. Um, same thing. I think they lose to USC. All offseason, I've said there's no way UCLA's losing to Oregon State. I think UCLA's losing to Oregon State. I think I've changed my mind on that one. Um, but I think they're going to beat um, Colorado. I still think that by the, the time UCLA plays the, the Buffaloes, that there's no depth on that roster. I know that the stars are stars, but I think eventually the lack of depth will catch up to them. Um, and then we'll see Utah's. We don't really know what the heck Utah is, to be honest. But Cam Rising or lack of Cam Rising has become a real question mark in the Utah backfield. Exactly. I think I think by week four, I think we might see him regardless of if he's 90% or 100% because they really easily could have lost that game. Um, but, yeah, th- th- that's our uh, over-under. Now we're going to preview real quick the NC Central game. Uh, not really looking at the opponent you know, the opponent as much as just what do we want to see from UCLA? What are the question marks? Obviously, I feel like it's been quarterback, 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 and, and rightfully so. It's the most important position in sports. I'm going to stick to that. Um, but maybe outside of a quarterback, if I assume we see Dante Moore first, maybe Chip might give the media a bone and, like, name a starter, like, at some point. That would be crazy. Um, but outside of quarterback, what do you want to see? Running back split, secondary, um, maybe Kyle Ford show up. Uh what do you want to see? You took the words right out of my mouth. I want to see more Kyle Ford. Um, I think he was, uh, there was a lot of, maybe hype isn't necessarily the right word, but a lot of you know chatter about him kind of in the offseason coming into camp, uh, transferring out of USC. And I feel like he hasn't gotten a chance to shine necessarily yet. So maybe just seeing you know more Kyle Ford play, more Kyle Ford targets in that game might be an interesting way to look at the depth in the receiver room. Because now we've seen a J. Mike game. We've seen a Logan Loya game. What can Kyle Ford do? I want to see this offensive line really dominate in this game. Took the words from my mouth. What a, what a guy. <laughs> Read your mind, all, Gavin. Read your mind all the time. Wavelength. There you go. Yes, sir. Um, but no, I mean, we saw them take a step forward in this game against San Diego State. And I think when you're going against a team like this, NC Central, not a good team by any standard against that UCLA is going against. I think this is a game where you really want to give Dante some good, you know, a good comfortable pocket, give him a lot of opportunities to really put up some big numbers on this defense. And I think the offensive line at this point in the season, you're starting to gel a little bit and you want to see, you know, your quarterback get really comfortable in that offense. So I think this is a game where we want to see more of the offensive line. Yeah. I think a, a goal for the Bruins should be one sack tops. I mean, I thought that the pass protection was questionable. The run, obviously, like you said, the run blocking was fantastic. Um, but whoever the quarterback is, they should not be getting touched very much in this game. Um, for me, I guess I'll stick with the secondary, specifically the outside corners. Kirkwood, Humphrey, who's going to be the guy? We know it's Davies. We know it's Johnson in the slot. Safeties look great. We know the front six or seven looks fantastic. Who's going to be the second corner on the outside? Is it going to be Humphrey? Is it going to be Kirkwood? That's what I want to see. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I don't even know the spread. I don't know if they're going to have a spread. I think UCLA's got to be favored by three, four touchdowns. Uh, we'll go before we end this pod, score predictions, UCLA, NC Central, week three at the Rose Bowl. What do you got? 48-13, UCLA. 48-13. I'll go 35-7. 35-7. I'm going to go 49-10. Um, I think this offense is going to get better and better. Logan Loya said it. Um, but, yeah, all right. We'll see what happens. We'll see who's right. I'm going to be right. I usually am right. I, I'm, I'm probably going to change my mind at some point, but we'll stick to that for now. Yeah. All right. Regardless... You know, Daily Bruin will have coverage all week, previews, scouting reports, notebooks, all that good stuff. Make sure you're checking out all of our content. 
I think Joseph's got a column coming out, five things. We got all sorts of great football content. So make sure you're going to the Daily Bruin website. And as for this pod, this fantastic pod that you love so much that you're watching right now, that you continue to watch because it's getting better and better every week. This po- is, is there anything better than the Out of Bounds podcast? No, there is not, Gavin. No, there is not. Uh, not that I've seen yet. As, as, as Joseph's hair will be getting better on every episode as well. But wow, yeah. really? I did, you had to go there? Hey, it looks great. I, I think it looks there. great. It looks great. But yeah, that's all for this episode. UCLA will be at home against NC Central. That was all for Out of Bounds. You can listen to this episode and every episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud. You can check out our YouTube, UCLA Daily Bruin, to watch the video version. A transcript will be on dailybruin.com. That's all we got for you today. Thanks so much for watching, and we'll see you next week. Take care.